Boone here. And I am Merrick, welcoming you to Asheville Magic Podcast. We are happy to have with us today a very shadowy individual, TJ Schimmel. Hello. <laughs> okay, we will get into TJ and his shadowy past in a few minutes, but first, uh, Ricky, could you give us a little more information about yourself and maybe how you got into magic? Well, let's see. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, no, that was another one. That was a little green guy. That was that dream you had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was very fortunate. Uh, my mom and dad found out that there was a school here in Asheville for handicapped kids. So I started going here. We moved here, and I started going to the school. And uh, I was told that there would be a teacher show up. A new one, and so me and some of my cronies was hanging outside, and uh, this guy kept pulling up on a Harley, wearing a black leather jacket. I loved it. He got off, came over, and proceeded to start showing card tricks and coin tricks. And that was a little over 40 years ago, and I've been hooked ever since. (laughs) A few days. It doesn't take much to get you hooked in magic. If it's in your DNA, it's in your DNA. It's meant to happen. It's meant to happen. But and a- after after that point, like, what what led you from there to like your next like moving up in magic, where you felt like something changed? When I I think I was in college, and I got a phone call from this uh, gentleman that was the teacher, which then became the principal of the school, and he said, "Ricky, are you still doing your magic shows?" Uh, he was been working for Prudential Life Insurance, and they was having their Christmas party. And I said, sure. He said, well, would you like to do uh, our Christmas party for us? I said, yep. Sounds like a plan to me. So he, we arrange everything. We get everything, all the ducks in a row. And I go and I do my show. And his mother was there. And his mother comes up to me after the show and says, you know, Groove, that was my teacher's name, Grove does little things, but nothing like you just did. And when that happened, I knew that the student had surpassed the master, and it made me feel really, really good about what I was doing. <laughs> and from that point on, like getting into uh, theaters and stuff of that nature, uh, was there like a, a door that opened for you to get you into that, or something that just clicked? I, I was very blessed. Uh, WLOS has been uh, very a positive force in my life. Yeah, the local news station? The local news station. Uh, there was a children's TV program called the Mr. Bill Show. And this uh, principal that I had also started a flying club. And we would put the model planes together and all the stuff. And he set it up one day to where the uh, kids in the club could actually go on a plane, airplane ride. So I went. And one of the pilots was Bill Norwood, who was the gentleman that had the kids, the kids show. And I, uh, I thought, well, what the heck? I called him up, and I started going on his show. And uh, he, he, he was interviewed with, in my book, and he says, you know, when I showed up, he's like, what am I going to do with this kid that's on crutches? Does he even know how to do magic? And he went from that to <clears throat> later on in years. Uh, Bill Norwood would just introduce me and then he'd go get a cup of coffee and leave me with the show. <laughs> you know, so uh, that that was pretty cool. Seeing the transition there from him standing beside me waiting to take over if he had to, to, uh, I'll see you later. <laughs> take care of my show for me. <laughs> kind of brought you in and gave you the reins, though, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I was very fortunate because Pete, so many people saw me on TV at an early age, and then it just went from one thing to the other. And my uh, early days was uh, people would call me up, they'd have products, or that they'd want me to uh, revolve my magic around their products, and I would come up with a routine or an effect that actually incorporated their product. I'd worked with a lot of businesses and would incorporate their product or their theme for yeah, a party. Yeah, that sounds very uh, closer to uh, trade show work then. It was, and I, but I didn't have to travel at that time. There was a lot of factory work in, in the Asheville area, and so I just got to do a lot of private stuff for them. Yeah. And uh, it also, that also allowed me to get that mindset 
of putting things together. That's why now I, I create a lot of things and magic because I remember one time there was this bank called me up. We're having this big banquet and we want a show. Can you do anything? With, you know, I started spouting off, well, I can do this for money. I can do, I can make your, your credit cards levitate out of a stack of credit, all this stuff. And I got off the phone and I said, how in the world am I going to do this? <laughs> so then I had to sit down. I, I, I did that very often. I would sell products that I did not have. But then I would create it because apparently I work better under pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that works for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so now a lot of people listening and some people out there that may not know you or know of you as, uh, I mean, you, you come off sounding like just a typical everyday kind of guy. But throughout your life, you've been overcoming a lot of odds, not just as a performer, but as a human being. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about that? Well, I was born uh with a disability, it's called Morgami Syndrome. I have, uh, the best way I can put it is uh, my, my body went haywire in utero in my mom's stomach. And, uh, well, actually, she didn't eat me, but you know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but I have bones in places where there shouldn't be bones, and in some places where there should be, there's not bones. And so I'm very limited in some of the things that I do, or so they, th they say. My mom and dad would totally be lucky if I lived to be four. I'm 54 at this time. <laughs> I hope to get older. Well, they got one of the numbers right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless I die this year. <laughs> well, <laughs> it might be 64, 74. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. Let's yeah. just assume they got one right. Okay. 104. <laughs> there you go. 300. That was 404. <laughs> Now you're people, just wishing. People, people do say I look a lot like you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Old and wrinkly and sometimes green. <laughs> but uh, and, and I think this is one of the things, too, like uh, that blow a lot of magicians away is that, I mean, some of the things you've had to, to do to do some of the basic effects, you've had to do a lot more work than just any normal guy would. Well, I don't mean to say this in a bragging way, but I've had to be—I've had to be just a little bit better than most people, just to get people to pay attention to me. And and that some people think that that's that's a bad thing to say, and I don't think it is because that push and that drive has gotten me to where I am today. Yeah. And uh, I like where I am today. Well, here in the shop, it's my story, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. With the AC on. Yeah. That's all about. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, talking about all this kind of comes in to tie into why TJ's here today. So, TJ, uh, could you give us a little bit about yourself and, uh, like, how you got into magic and what brought you to Asheville? Yeah, well, you know, I, like Ricky, is, is kind of a young uh, kid, as a lot of us are. I was actually seven years old. My grandmother took me to see a magic show in Beverly, Massachusetts called Marco the Magi's production of LeBron David and Film Spectacular Magic Company. A mouthful, but yeah. it was this <laughs> huge theatrical show, um, you know, and you just walked out of there feeling enchanted. Yeah. And I was just so thrilled and so excited about magic. I, you know, had my mother um, begged her to bring me to the library so I could find books on magic and yeah. read everything I could on it and got books from other libraries and stuff on history and you know of course next to the magic books are books on ventriloquism and juggling and everything else so yeah. those all kind of yeah that same got crowd. incorporated <laughs> in yeah so it um that was my initial inspiration and fortunately I had a wonderful my best friend uh, Ron Goldberg was his name that still is and he uh, got interested seeing my interest in magic and I got a, a magic set for Christmas and took a trip to Washington DC and there was Al's magic shop behind the White House I said most most people are, aren't shocked that there's a magic shop there <laughs> or used to be I guess it was closed now and kind of got my first real magic trick from there yeah and you know the profession i had the little plastic things and all of that but this yeah. this was you know the chinese linking ring 
Uh-huh. And the beginner's version, and I was so excited that this is a professional trick. And I remember we went out to McDonald's after, and I, I sat down in the booth, my parents were getting the food, and I very quickly opened up the instructions to see, you know, what, what were the magic words, or what's that magic that made the trick happen. Yeah. And then I saw the diagram there exposing the trick and how it was done, and I realized this is just a trick. Just like all the other little plastic things, this is just a trick. <laughs> and there was this moment of this letdown that the magic, you know, that I, I saw on stage and, and saw Mark of the Magi with the rings and doing all of that, that, that was just a trick. And yet, as my parents were coming back, I quickly folded up the instructions and hid them away so as not to spoil it yeah. for them. And so, for me, magic is a, a pursuit of bringing that wonder to others. And I think, I think all magicians are always searching, too, for that wonder of life. I mean, life itself is, is magical. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, everyone kind of comes in, and you just kind of have this... You, you have to find some kind of wonder in your life to make it valid you know but yeah. yeah it brings it brings meaning and you know my my best friend and i we started doing shows at 11 years old doing kind of birthday parties and and things and very quickly um you know we had our first business card printed tj's and ron's magic shows we do any kind of party which we should have limited it back <laughs> at some point but oh, that's man. that's how we originally advertised and I mean, as kids, we, we worked and did corporate events for Anheuser-Busch and oh, wow. hospitals and local things, and, you know, it was just kind of a word of mouth, and it was a wonderful way for a kid to be making money. It put me through college, yeah. and, you know, it was a wonderful uh, thing. And how do. old were you when you were doing the Anheuser-Busch one? We were, we were just young, not even... Teens, it may have been well, 13, 14 okay, years so old. So it would not be legal for you to test the product. Yes. Well, yeah. two, you know, in my magic nowadays, I, I find it ironic that, you know, I, I don't do anything with, with fire or any of that. But back then, we used to open the show that Ron would come out with a torch <laughs> and light a dove pan and make handkerchiefs appear and the torch turns into a cane and all of that. And I'm thinking, what were our parents thinking of letting these kids play with fire i won't even get near it now and it's like <laughs> they were drinking bush they, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly so i mean we you know have learned a lot and you know we got interested um you know books were a wonderful thing and then we found as if by magic looking in in the phone book that we looked in a million times every phone book i ever get i look up magic <laughs> And all of a sudden, there was a magic shop that appeared in the next town over, Don Paul's Magic Shop. And we went there and thrilled and met a you know, wonderful magician who's been a mentor in my life, and his name is Jim's La Jim Lantine. Um, and he really took us under his wing. He showed us and would give us private lessons of magic and the theatrics of magic and how to present shows and put shows together and you know so he really helped us tremendously and there was also the society of young magicians met there assembly number one oh, um wow. its founder was wendell gibson who was actually jim's jim's mentor when he was a kid and he grew up and he's running the magic shop there and so wendell became a wonderful influence in in our lives as well um and what's the name of your character when you perform for and kids? When I perform, it took me most of my life. I've been doing this now 25 years. That it's only been within the past five years I've been performing as Wendell Wandell. Oh yeah. Um, Wendell being from Wendell yeah. Gibson. Um, Wandell. A lot of people have have come up to me and said, you know, I couldn't you think of a more original name like Magic Wand Wandell? And I said. Oh, yeah, I get that. No, that's they not what it's from, but yeah. Um, but Wandell, there was a, a girl in my class in first grade named Bethany Wandell, and I just always thought it was a magical name, and oh. it just came together in my head one day with yeah, Wendell Wandell. Create that magical character. Yes, exactly. 
And from there on, like, uh, the, you, you mentioned Gibson. So, like, can you tie us into some of the... Yeah, some of the... So, very early on, Wendell recognized two things in me. He recognized that I was a good performer. As he said, you know, I came to them already knowing magic. I don't agree with that. I've learned a lot from him, but um, right away he, he put us in charge of running the SYM, Society of Young Magicians, meeting. And two, he noticed I was good at writing. So he had me create a newsletter for the group. Um, and then there was the, the magic symbol was the, the national newsletter that he had me write things for that and really encouraging the magic and the writing. And when I was about to go off for college, I kind of took a year off and did some community service work for the YMCA. And during that year, Wendell had said, you know, I'd like you to, to work with me and help me write a book on my uncle. And his uncle was Walter B. Gibson. Yeah, and well. I had heard, you know, my whole childhood him talking about his, his famous uncle and his uncle created the old radio show that the shadow the shadow knows it was walter gibson's creation um and he was this prolific writer he knew houdini blackstone thurston wrote books for all of them and it never sunk into me of the fame of walter gibson and he did a lot of this under pseudonyms and maxwell um, grant was the name he used for the shadow and it wasn't until I was doing Christmas shopping and saw, you know, in one of these stores, you know, all the gifts out there on, on display, bookstones or something, and they had a collection of the shadow. Mm. And I picked it up and turned it over and said, you know, Maxwell Blade is, or Maxwell Blade, Maxwell Grant, Maxwell Blade, we're thinking <laughs> Weekend of Wonder here. Yeah. Uh, Maxwell Grant. Um, is Walter B. Gibson, who created the shadow and the character and all of that, and it just, like, struck me like a bolt of lightning, like, wow, this guy is something. Here he is in this, you know, in a mall. Of, and just one of the things that he created, he was the first creator of the close-up pad for magicians yeah. that are out there that's listening to this. Well, Wendell Gibson was the creator of the close-up pad. Really? Wendell did the close-up pad under Gibson Magic. He brought it to Walter, and Walter kind of said, what in the world are you putting your time and effort into this? Nobody's going to want this. And now, you know, it's a big debate in the magic world. You know, do you bring it to a restaurant table hopping? What's the right size to have and, and all of that? So it, it's yeah. like an essential piece of magic. But yes, that originally was, was the Gibson close-up pad is the pad. Yeah, and for those people out there who don't quite know exactly what that is, it, it's basically like uh, the soft felt you would have on a table. And it's just yep. on a, a pad that usually has like a rubbered bottom to keep it from sliding. Yeah. And it allows you to put your props down, whether it's cards or whatever, and pick them up with ease without having to like slide it across the table <laughs> to the <And> edge. <laughs> as, as Wendell described it too, it gives the performance area a stage. Yes, you know it's yeah. a, it's the spotlight. It's close up when you're you're there under somebody's nose performing. Yeah. To define the space, you have your close up pad, and that's the performance area. Stage magician has the stage. Everyone knows that's where the magic's going to happen, and the close up pad. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and um, Wendell had come across the the concept because the felt and the rubber. His close up pads, which still exist today, they were sold to Hankley's Magic Factory and. Wherever they've gone from there, whoever bought Hank Lee's yeah. stuff, um, there was a particular kind of adhesive that a true close-up pad you cannot separate mm. the two. This adhesive he had come across that you would destroy the pad. Yeah. And that differentiates the Gibson pad from some of the kind of yeah. knockoffs that have come down <coughs> the line since. So, yeah, so after finding, you know, seeing the book with his name in it, and that leading you into... Yes, well, and so Walter's life then became quite an interesting thing. Of You know, Wendell had a, a magic shop. And at this time, I, Walter had died in 1985, just as I was getting into magic. So I never met him. 
but through his nephew, he's had all these diaries and these papers that he's been collecting on his uncle for years. And so my first task, I organized the whole magic shop of all these papers into decades of Walter's life. And then I borrow a decade at a time and I sit and take notes on them and then bring them back to Wendell and borrow the next and had the diaries, um, took my notes with photocopy, certain key passages and stuff and, you know, really got to know this person, Walter, which you would have, you would sit there and the guy, he was, had such a brilliant mind and anything and everything, he's written you know, 325 books, novel length books on the shadow. Wow. Um, and in all of these things he has done, he's written books on magic and astrology and karate and children's books and all of these under all sorts of different pseudonyms um, that he often said he'd offer you know, $10,000 to anyone that could make a list of all of his works. And they would never win because he didn't know himself what he had wow. written. Um, and one guy got his PhD by trying to do just that. And it was a book, you know, several inches thick, just listing every writing that Walter had done. Um, so to get to know this guy was wonderful. And he would sit there, though, and he would record in his diary. It was always about the weather and the train timetables and all this boring stuff you'd have to read through. And then there'd be, amongst all that, oh, met with Harry Houdini today and discussed the book <laughs> he wants to do. And it's like, wow. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like just this nonchalant. And made it through in the last decade of his life was the hardest because I knew it was the end. Yeah. Um, and I very reluctantly left that aside and couldn't read it because I had come so to know this person and identify with him yeah. and see myself in him and all of this and finally took my notes on the last diaries in the last decade of his life and just sat there and cried after yeah because i never got to meet him personally yeah but you were probably getting to know him better than most relatives of his knew him well yeah. you know when you're reading through someone's diaries those are usually the most personal thing you could find so i could only imagine that's true and he, and he actually wrote four other magicians am i correct yeah he he wrote I mean, he wrote Howard Thurston's autobiography. <laughs> it was, you know, ghosts written under Thurston's name. Um, you know, he was a very wonderful collaborator in the magic world. One of the best magic books out there is Mark Wilson's Complete Course in Magic. Yeah. And that was a very strong collaboration with Walter as a, a co-author. Oh, wow. Um, and that's the thing I had never realized that first book on magic that I got out of the library at seven years old was written by Walter Gibson <laughs> when I went back to check it out it was Walter Gibson huh, full circle and <laughs> he had um, taken his knowledge of magic and put it into a character the shadow and the shadow was really the first double identity superhero. There was no, you know, this Batman, Superman, Superman yeah. all of them came out of the shadow. Um, you know, it started as this, the shadow was just a name. It was a voice on the radio introducing um, mystery hour for Street and Smith selling their, their Pulp Fiction novels. But was the detective story hour they were selling had the radio show that would promote the pulp fiction but everybody coming to the newsstands was asking for that shadow <laughs> novel so it didn't take a genius to say well we should write some shadow novels <laughs> so walter was in the right place at the right time and really fleshed out the character of the shadow and really took houdini and joseph dunninger and Thurston and Blackstone and combine them into the character of the shadow. Yeah, all and those great Many magic. know 
the, the tagline from the radio, you know, knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, the shadow knows, and the shadow would cloud men's minds so he could disappear and all of that. Well, that was a radio show. Walter wrote the novels that used magic tricks. He yeah. never disappeared, but he would use magic illusions to, you know, he always wore this black cloak and he'd go into a black corner and black against black in the magic world we know can't be seen. Yeah. So he would vanish and he would do magic tricks. You know, he didn't have any superpowers or anything like that. Um, you know, so, so Walter's life needed to be written down. Yeah. You know, this was a guy who had influenced the world of magic and the golden age of magic. Why anybody knows Harry Houdini is because Walter was given exclusive rights to Houdini's papers after he died. Yeah. So anything we know about Houdini is because of Walter. Now, what's the name of your book that you wrote? It's Walter B. Gibson and the Shadow. Mm -hmm. And this was a book that was people were bugging, you know, all of um, the publishers were bugging Walter to write his autobiography, and Walter couldn't. He tried, and he couldn't. He didn't see why anyone would be interested in his life. And he died before he could ever finish it. So his wife, Litsko, who was a magician in her own right, um, previously been married to the great Raymond and traveled the world, and she would play the harp with her, her pet rooster, China Boy, would sit there and crow <laughs> as she was playing. And she did her own magic act and everything, and so she went to write Walter's biography. And she died. So here comes the nephew, Wendell, and I to write the biography. I got the first chapter written, and Wendell read it and approved it, and then he died and passed away. Oh, wow. Um, so I finished it. Unfortunately, I'm still around <laughs> and didn't die before that was done. When did the book um, come out? That came out, I was in college. You have a copy around. I'd have to look it up. Um... But I, I wrote most of it while I was in college and got a grant to, to help me do research, and that was back before yeah. the internet was real big, so I actually yeah. had to like go physically to these different places. Um, so it was early 2004 or five somewhere in there. I would have to look it up. But the book was truly the only thing after Wendell had died all that paperwork, everything was sold in his magic shop. It's out there somewhere. Nobody knows where it is or what happened to it. So my book is the last, you know, kind of testament to Walter's life. Yeah, wow. Um, and as I said, I was just honored when somebody besides my mother bought one. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> it, it went from hard copy to softback, and it's, you know, available through um, McFarland is the publisher, and I still get my royalty checks. It's okay. still being sold and, and out there. How, how do we find them? Or do we look them up online? Or do Yeah, we... well, they you can search Walter B. Gibson. will come up with the book, Walter B. Gibson in the Shadow. It's the only biography on Walter. Okay. Um, you know, McFarland is the publisher, so you can, okay. you can see through so their it, website. Just basically Google it. Yeah, to yeah. Google Walter Gibson or, or my name, T.J. Schimmel. Yeah. It'll, it'll come up. Okay, so those people out there that don't know exactly how to spell that last name, can you spell <laughs> yes. that last name? It's S-H-I-M-E-L-D. That's M as in Mary, E-L-D. Yeah, so... so and yeah. Oh, sorry, so Wal Walter's, Walter's book was a dream come true because I, I had always wanted to write. And I was in college and it was a very academic book and notes, notations and, and everything. Um... It led direct to, you know, right around that time I was publishing a, um, a, a zine for young magicians called Fizden. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of gave me an excuse to talk to these great magicians that, you know, I want to interview them for the cover and they contribute tricks and stuff. And that lasted for two and a half years. And one of the people, of course, I wanted to interview was Marco the Magi. Grand David, you know, the first people that got me into magic. Oh, yeah. And they invited me 
down to come see the shows. They had two shows, and you know, I, I had gone back there every year. It was a pilgrimage for me, the magic. Every year in <laughs> February, I would go back and see the show. And they asked me to join the magic company, um, which was a dream come true. That was that impossible dream as a child, <coughs> to be part of this magic company. And um, my girlfriend at the time, Jennifer, um, joined and later became my wife. And yeah. so she was there. We were there for eight years. And the Walter Gibson book came out while I was there. And um, it was a you know, wonderful time. I kind of thought I'd retire from magic, that you know, this, this oh, was yeah. my ultimate goal and <laughs> I reached it. Oh, no. <laughs> and then um, Zachary, our, our son, appeared. And at that time, we were living in this one-bedroom apartment, and it was real cramped, and we had to move, and it was so expensive to live in Massachusetts, and we were looking in New Hampshire, and we realized we don't have to stay here. Our parents grew up here. We could live anywhere. And we found our way to, to North Carolina and fell in love with the town. We live in Morganton and fell in love with the town there and moved right before Zach's first birthday. And um, of course, as I said earlier, I would always look up, you know, magic. You know, now we have the internet, so I didn't have to look in the telephone book and <laughs> found Magic Central. Came here. And, you know, my first impression walking in here was seeing Ricky back kind of behind the counter in the wheelchair, and I first kind of felt bad for him and kind of embarrassed myself. I didn't know, like, how to act yeah. around him, like, as if he doesn't know he's in a wheelchair, or, you know. But, um, and I Been started... Long medication on <laughs> That's right. And I, I first noticed when you walk in on the right, there's all these awards <laughs> of, you know, first place stage, Ricky Boone. Second place close up, Ricky Boone. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, this Ricky Boone guy, I've gotta gotta meet him. He must and, be the owner. <laughs> yeah, he must be the owner. And and you know, the, this this poor guy in the wheelchair, this he's this is his, his job here and you know, and so Ricky would say, Hi, you know, how are you trying to engage me? And I'm trying not to engage with him. <laughs> and I'm looking around and, and on the walls there's there's pictures of Cindy Lauper and signed to Ricky Boone, and I was like, well, who is this guy? And finally, inevitably, I made my way to the front where Ricky was sitting, and I find out that this is Ricky Boone. <laughs> and he holds his hand out and, and, and shakes my hand, and, and the only way he can, can hold his hand. And, and he began performing, and he did the, the one, two, three, Trick, one, two, three. The, the paddle there yeah. and the diamonds appearing and disappearing and all of that and and I was here an hour or two or three or I mean it, it felt like forever in that that moment and Ricky told me about the magic club and all of this I was all excited to you know start magic again you know I thought I was going to retire from magic after we left the theater and we were that's when the Wendell Wandell idea came to me and this character and all of this as we transitioned down, started booking shows. And then we were in a near devastating car accident. You know, we, we moved to North Carolina to begin our life as a family. Let's back up just a second before we start talking about the uh, car accident. You were focusing more on library shows and school shows and things like that when you were moving down that's that's what your intention was to yes. break into that yeah so. and you know we we had some things booked and some festivals and some different things um so it was really an exciting time because i was getting back into you know doing my shows again yeah um and meeting ricky and Seeing him was such an inspiration, too, that, you know, this is what I wanted to do, you know, make magic my life again. Um, and it was very much a part of my life with the Le Grand Beach show yeah. and all of that, very involved. Um, so when we had moved here and we were in this 
this car accident that a guy kind of ran us off the road passing in a no passing zone and we went off the road and kind of had to come back on to avoid colliding with trees and stuff and the oncoming traffic hit us and spun us around and I ended up breaking my my left clavicle and shattering the bones in my left hand. Um, Fortunately Jen and Zach were in the car they just had a couple bruises they were okay um, but I was out of work then for three months, wow. and I had surgery on my hand, and the, the surgeon that came out and was talking to Jen, and she was asking, oh, how's it going? And she, he said, oh, it, it's going well. And she said, oh, good, he's a magician. He needs his hand. Yeah. And she said his face just went white as he... Yeah, didn't expect it. No, never said. It wasn't until later, um, but I was not ever supposed to move that hand again. I would never get back motion. Well, I mean, the bones were just shattered. So I was at home and feeling quite bad for myself here. I had here for a new life. I have a one year old son, I couldn't pick him up anymore. I couldn't sit up for more than 10 minutes. I couldn't lie down for more than 10 minutes. I couldn't stand for more than 10 minutes. You know, day and night, just pain medicine, everything just wore together, and I became quite depressed and thought, you know, my life was just beginning again, and here I am in bed, and I can't do anything, and I can't move. I can't provide for my family. I can't do anything. And I thought of how easy it was that that split second on the road that our life changed, I could just get back in the car and just drive off and be done with it all. And then somewhere, somehow, something in me remembered Ricky Boone. Yes. (laughs) And really woke me up. So I thought, well... Here's Ricky, everything he's been through. He's done magic on TV. He's done all these corporate events. He owns a magic shop. And I'm worried about my left hand. (laughs) And I knew it was only going to be a couple of months that I would get through and rehabilitated. So I started doing what I could. I started writing a book, The Principles of Magic um, for Beginner Magicians. Because I could type with one finger, ten minutes at a time, I'd sit up and type some, and some of my favorite effects are in there. And I started painting this black side table and painted it all these bright colors and yellows and all these kind of corally bright colors and intricate design on top. And, you know, all the painting I learned from being with the Le Grand David show was something I loved there, painting the props and painted this table 10 minutes at a time and rest for 10 minutes and get up. And to my great (laughs) chagrin, it needed three coats (laughs) to cover (laughs) over the black. But during this, there was a goal. There was a a point to my life that I was writing this book. I'm painting this table. I had meaning again in my life. And I did my physical therapy six hours a day. And in addition to the regular physical therapy, I would do magic tricks and sleight of hand. My my goal was to be able to do the the color-changing handkerchief where I need to hold my left hand in the fist and tuck in a red handkerchief in top, and it magically changes to white coming out the bottom. And that was my goal in therapy. And after all was said and done, I was driving up here to Asheville to a magic club meeting, my first magic club meeting color-changing handkerchief in hand and it was one of those moments of coming over the mountains and it was kind of a a gray day and these like the clouds just kind of opened and the the sunlight beams coming down through and I just felt this bliss of I'm driving up to Asheville this is (laughs) this is the place and I performed and that night Ricky did his escape act and I did my color-changing handkerchief and you know, that's 
kind of the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, you guys do that a lot now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, um, going from that, it, it's kind of easy to see it going into the vanishing wheelchair. Yeah. But can you kind of like fill us in? Let us know what the vanishing wheelchair is. Well, now now that I could get up here, can you can you remember when I called you? Or talk to you in person. I think it was. I talked to you in person. We were in person because yeah. I would come up all the time. Now that I could, um, to see Ricky and talk to Ricky and all of that, and talking about our lives and really getting to know each other, and um, you know, he he mentioned one day. He said, you know, I'd I'd like you to help me write my story, mm-hmm. my my a book. And I said, I've had that in mind since I met you. <laughs> and I was always afraid to ask. And the book began, and interviewing Ricky and interviewing friends and family and all of that. And we were, I was writing one day, and he called me and said, you know, I want you to start a business or something around this book, you know. And I had... An idea. I've been now traveling, doing the summer reading programs, and back doing magic. And we would always stop at these museums for Zach, these hands-on museums, and do all these neat activities. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat to have a hands-on museum that like was based on like magic principles and optical illusions and all these things? And I was always picturing this. And so Ricky came to me with this idea of some sort of organization or company or whatever and after some discussion we came up well this needs to be for disabled people um they what i had been through gave me a glimpse into um what it would be like to not have my left hand fortunately it all came back yeah not being able to fully function um ricky was such an inspiration to me at that time so we began vanishing wheelchair because that's what happened the first time I met Ricky and after meeting him and talking with him and seeing his magic and liking him and the comedy and the magic and all of that I forgot completely about the wheelchair and that's what happens every time he's on stage you forget the wheelchair is there yeah. you think it's the vanishing wheelchair so for Ricky getting through his life he had magic getting over my brief disability there it was the writing, it was the magic, it was the painting. And we realized having a goal, having a reason to wake up in the morning is the reason to live. And so how can we help people with disabilities find their reason, their talent? I believe we're all here for a reason. And sometimes it takes some help finding that reason. <laughs> And that's what the Vanishing Wheelchair is all about, of helping people with disabilities learn different skills in the, the arts and magic and singing and dancing and juggling and painting and writing. Um, whatever we can find people to help out, to help them find find their purpose, their meaning. Gotcha. And through that, we began a show called Magic, Mirth, and Meaning. Um, which is basically a showcase. It started, as I said, you know, as, as the board of directors show. It was the, you know, Gil Carlson's our vice president, so it was the, the Ricky, TJ, and Gil show. Yeah. <laughs> and bit by bit, people were attracted to the idea of this show. We have a show today. Ricky's not even performing in it. I'm yeah. doing one trick. It's now taken over by the people <laughs> that we're yeah, here to help um, and people who want to help right. others. You know, not not everybody in the show has a disability, um, but they may have a family member or friend or someone that they really care about that they want to help support by supporting the vanishing wheelchair. May I, uh, <clears throat> may I share a story, please? Uh, a friend of mine, we did not have a title for the book, and a friend of mine said one day while TJ was interviewing him, uh, well, all I know is Ricky's a four-foot giant. TJ said that's the name of the book and then one day he had Zach with him and they were heading back home and TJ calls me after they get home and said that uh, 
on their way back down to Morganton, uh, TJ Adler realized that Zach had never been around someone in a wheelchair. And so as he was driving down the road, he just said, well, hey, Zach, what did you think about Ricky's cool wheelchair? And said, Zach kind of tilted his head and looked at him kind of strange and said, what wheelchair, Daddy? <laughs> and he calls me, and as soon as he gets home, he says, we got to change the name of the book now to the four-foot giant and the vanishing wheelchair. <laughs> and yeah. that's where the name of the nonprofit came from as well. Yes. It, you know, and that's, that's the key to see see the talent, to see the gifts that the person has rather yeah. than the disability, yeah. um, which may be more obvious, and for some not as obvious. Yeah. Um, but to focus on that that talent, and yeah, that's a wonderful thing. We we very soon realized we wanted it to be a nonprofit. Um, we were incorporated November twenty fourth of twenty ten, and we applied for our. Nonprofit charity status from the IRS, so we are now a five hundred one c three nonprofit public charity. So all donations are tax deductible. They are all yeah. tax deductible, and we have no paid staff or no building <laughs> per se. As of yet. As of yet, that is is a goal, you know, yeah. of of kind of incorporating my concepts for this kind of magic hands-on museum and the meaning of the vanishing wheelchair and having place where people with disabilities can come and take workshops and be part of a show, be part of an organization. Well, hold on just a second. Let's, let's step back just a second. I don't think yes. we've talked much about the uh, the museum. So, yes. yeah. Get us there by that. Maybe. The museum. Yeah. So, <laughs> the museum has, has had different iterations <laughs> through the years as we discuss it and grow. Oh, yeah. And it's incorporated a lot now to what we're looking to do with the, the show. We're working... Um, with a wonderful woman, Vixie, and her, her daughter, Kelty, who is a wonderful singer in the show. Um, and Vixie is a storyteller. Yeah. And I know you were involved at the very early stages with Magic, mm -hmm. Mirth, and Meaning yeah, and helping us. Helping out with some uh, consulting and stuff. Yes. So, yeah. And what came out of that consultation meeting with you was that what we really wanted was a show that told a story, almost yeah. like a fairy tale. And now Vixie... Her whole life, she's been making up these fairy tales that yeah. coincidentally happen to fit into uh, the lives of these people who have <laughs> come around us in the vanishing wheelchair. Um, so we're looking to make this this bigger play-like production, um, is with a, a magical twist, kind of this this fairy tale um, that really displays um, the stories of people like Ricky and our some of our founders. And as that, that fairy tale unfolds, the concept of the museum is almost like this, this fairy tale world where children can come and picturing it almost as this kind of cottages and, and little areas that they can visit these little houses and there's mm -hmm. different activities within those of being able to identify things that they can't see or how they would get from one end of this path to a, a castle off in the distance oh, using yeah. wheelchairs and using crutches yeah. and how does it feel to be in a wheelchair to yeah. go over this rough yeah. terrain and, and give them the experience of having a disability. And one of our, our founders, Randy Crane, a good friend of um, Ricky, unfortunately passed on early on um, in our founding, had once said that, you know, if you make a friend in a child, you have a friend for life. So if we're able to expose children to the concepts of, like Zach said, what wheelchair yeah. didn't even notice, and if they understand and are around people at this museum that have disabilities that can work with them and getting into the wheelchair and doing obstacle courses with that or doing some, you know, magical optical illusions, how, you know, we can't trust our eyes. And Randy Crane, another one of his sayings that I love, that, you know, we see life through two different eyes. You know, we can see with our human eyes and see what's on the outside, or we can look with our 
our spiritual eyes, with our heart, and see the person on the inside. And so much of magic is illusion, of you know, s playing with that, that kind of tricking the eye. And so with the museum, it would be all about these optical illusions and showing us that we can't quite trust our eyes, yeah. but we can trust our heart. And if you get to know a person, like my first judgment of Ricky, but once I got to know him, he became a friend. Oh, yeah. And if we can do that with the shows we do, it gives an opportunity for not only the performers to show their stuff, but the audience in changing their mind of what's dis disabled. I think a lot of these people, their disability is their greatest ability. Yeah. You know, they, they really shine. There's yeah. a lot of people out there that have disabilities that's not visual as well, and I want everyone to know that we're not looking at the physical disabilities. There's there's people out there that is not as noticeable as my my condition. Looking at me, you know, wow, he screwed up. Uh, there's some people. <laughs> And that's just my body. That's the body I would know my mind. <laughs> You've been listening to your mom too long. <laughs> but uh, we also, I have encountered a lot of amazing people out there that uh, they have emotional problems or they, you know, they just think differently than other people. And, and they're, they're the, some in some cases, there's some of the specialist people that you ever, that's not even a word. Uh, the most amazing people that you would ever want to meet, mm. and uh, we want to we want to bring in as many people as we can, and we want to help out because everybody has something to offer. And uh, and as as we've discussed, you know what what is normal, right? You know we we all have disability. I wear glasses. Yeah, you know, that's a disability. I don't have my glasses. I can't see. <laughs> I couldn't drive up here. Yeah. You know we all have something, and that's and I think that's. The key point to the show and what I saw when Ricky was doing his escape routine, he's in these shackles and handcuffs and thumb cuffs and he escapes and he even says in it, you know, talk about constraints and being, you know, tied back from who you're supposed to be and people are worrying about their weight or their hair color or, you know, their height and all of that and if you see someone like Ricky do these amazing things, that's what helped me. The thought, and I'm worried about my hand. It's just one hand. I got another one, mm. you know. And no matter what, if it, the emotional problems, the physical problems, and all of that, seeing somebody else do something that's that's talented and amazing, and all of that, it gives you the inspiration to say, "Well, I've got talents too. What can I offer the world?" Yeah. And I think that's one of the interesting things about the show you guys are doing now uh, is that it kind of gives people that opportunity at this point. Uh, before I guess the museum and some of the future goals with the vanishing wheelchair to come and like almost see these things vanishing away like these disabilities right. per se so like uh, just to get into that a little more where are you guys actually having these shows so we currently do a monthly show we've been doing it now for a year and a half um, we are housed out of, of St. Mary's Church on Charlotte Street Nashville okay do you know what the address is there it is 337 Charlotte Street, okay, um, Asheville, North Carolina, and we have our, our website, vanishingwheelchair.org, um, lists the monthly shows on there, um, anyone can buy tickets, and we, from the beginning, kind of wanted it to be, we don't turn people away. Mm -hmm. People give what they want. Um, we have a suggested donation of $10 for adults, $5 for children, but... Gotcha. I've, I've had a, a little girl come that wanted to see the show, and she gave me some Monopoly money, and we accepted that, and in she walks. <laughs> so it's it's not something, because it, it's more of the message we're after. We yeah. want people to hear the message, and the more people that hear it, the better. And so, you know, it is is a pre-public show. Our next one is, is today, is June 28th. Um, we have our other ones coming up July 26th, August 23rd, and September 20th. And it starts at 6.30 p.m., goes for an hour and a half straight through. Um, and it is, you know, just a, a wonderful opportunity for these people to shine. And every time we do a show, there's somebody else that wants to be part. So each show is different. 
which is an amazing thing to me, uh, getting all these people. And yeah. we're, we're almost at the point now there's discussion of actually looking for another location um, that we can have a second show going on. At, you know, at One might be the end of the month, the other might be the beginning of the month. And, yeah. you know, being able to, to offer different opportunities for people to be there because people want to be part of it and, you know, they might have obligations and if there's another date then they can be part of that show and, and it just keeps building, which is wonderful. Well, before you know, we'll have troop A, B, and C. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. D and E and F. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many helpers do you guys have now? Like volunteers or whatnot? Well, I was, was trying to count that the other day because part of what we're doing now is in lieu of the museum in this place, in August, we are going to be starting a monthly lunch mm -hmm. where people with disabilities can come, share a common meal for free, and have some presentations and either a lecture or a show, and then do workshops. They might learn some magic from Ricky or some writing workshop with me or to give offer skills to the community and all of that. And, you know, we. I was kind of sitting down calculating, well, how many people could we really sustain? We've got to limit it to, to some degree. We can't have thousands of people there. And, um, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but St. Mary's Church is going to be hosting that the day of the show. So that's going to be August 23rd, and we'll have a lunch. And then in the evening, we'll have the show. Um, what time's the lunch? Yet to be determined. Okay. Around lunchtime, I would assume. Keep but checking <laughs> Yes, keep, keep checking the website. Um, but as I realized, as I was counting just the people that are directly, because I thought, well, maybe we'll start between like 30 and 50 people to invite in and, you know, give tickets and kind of cap it at maybe 30. But then I counted who are already with us directly and, and we're up to, you know, 25, 26, 27 people. So we're, we're almost at that 30 mark. So we've got to go to 50 to invite, yeah. you know, more people in. Um, you know, but it, it has just been an amazing thing to watch it grow. I mean, that was our initial thing to see, and I think St. Mary's has been a wonderful location that, um, you know, when the local newspapers and TV stations and all have been a great support of, of helping us get the word out. And doing a monthly show, it gives the opportunity for people, we have some people we kind of publish our shows kind of four months out and then the next four months and the next four months um and someone was all upset because they had a bunch of friends that wanted to come and it was the last show on on our website and i said wait we're continuing <laughs> we just haven't published the dates yet look yeah. and so they'll be here this summer uh, how does someone go about volunteering to help the vanishing wheelchair well they can can always contact me through um, vanishingwheelchair.org or come to Magic Central and talk to Ricky. A lot of people seem to find their way to the magic shop. and um, It's kind of interesting. They're not necessarily here searching for the vanishing wheelchair, but after talking to Ricky and hearing about the show and all of that, they want to do something. Or they know someone. They say, oh, I have a cousin who would be perfect. He's a singer and wants to do and that's how the connections are made. So yeah, either Magic Central or Vanishing Wheelchair. And this is a great way for someone to hone their skills. I mean, they, you can actually get in front of a live audience and, uh, and perform, whether you're a singer, dancer, comedian, whatever. Uh, and there's just, it's unlimited. And, and a lot of times, apparently it's addictive because a lot of people come and do it once and then they want to come every every month. <laughs> yes. But uh, like I say, now we, we do have definitely have enough to where we can, and that's great because that sells tickets because each show is going to be a little different. Right. Up until we get to the point to where we will do be doing the play, and that's the only way, the best way that I can describe what we're what we're initially going to be doing is is a play. But that may not even stop these shows. We may have to play. No, I, I think they'll they'll continue on because there there needs to be an outlet for people to show their talents. Yeah. Um, 
Um, so that's the Magic Mirtha Meaning Show. And then if once we have the play, that's going to be something more that we want to go around and bring that to different organizations and help them raise money, kind of a fundraiser for them where we would come into a school or a church or, you know, Special Olympics or, you know, whatever organization. They're all looking to raise money. If, you know, they kind of coincide with, with our mission and our meaning, um, we would bring this larger show to them where we could all sell tickets and have a, a full stage production. Well, we're not limited to, to th those things either. I mean, we could do we do schools, private schools. I mean, yeah. we've already worked with some private schools in the area. If uh, there's anything that fits in with our our agenda, uh, even loosely, we could we yeah. could do a fifty fifty split. So well, usually, what we do. I mean, we're not going and doing a program for the Hell's Angels or something like that. Let me <laughs> Not saying anything bad. Me personally, well, not saying anything bad. Actually, any, I think they're calling now. <laughs> but any, anything, that'll be one of my private shows. Yes. <laughs> anything with, um, you know, the, the spiritual organizations, these um, children's organizations. Because again, you know, if if we get children to not see the wheelchairs, they're the future of the lawmakers of, of the world. So when they grow up. You know, they're the ones that are going to be affecting policy and views and everything else. So, yeah. well, that's something that I would love. I've said it several times. Is I would love for Vanishing Wheelchair to be able to have uh, to stand in front of Congress or Senate someday and talk about all the stupid things that they have out there <laughs> that needs to be changed. Yeah. So, just kind of getting more out of the technical aspect of it. Uh, the shows that you guys have done, are there any like stories that stick out, like things that happened on stage? Maybe things that weren't even planned? I know in performing, there's always something that happens that, well, you know, Ricky's had his head set on fire before, but. Ricky's got a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, with the Vanishing with Wheelchair. With the Vanishing shows. Wheelchair, well, one, one of our, our first illusions we had, um, had built with a, a guy who his wife, um, she has MS, right? Has, um, no, it's um, Parkinson's. Okay. And they they were looking for something to do themselves in life and discovered the vanishing wheelchair. And then we discover, you know, I was friends with her. She's a writer and author, and her husband happened to be a carpenter and happened to work for a magician in England and built illusions, so the guy could do illusions. So he helped us build a, um, a metamorphosis, a subtrunk that mm -hmm. we thought was a perfect concept of, of, of change with the vanishing wheelchair. And I know what this story We is. had, so, you know, Ricky had, had already in the show done his chain escape. So then we had a, one of the assistants working with us at the, the time was Stephanie, and she was chained and put into this trunk. And well, for she's chained up, put in a bag, tied inside the bag. The bag is shut into the trunk. She's locked inside the trunk. And then I stand up on top of the trunk, lift a curtain up, and we magically exchange places. In the ideal world, <laughs> we magically exchange places. We did magically exchange places. <laughs> But the audience never knew because me, TJ, was locked inside the trunk. And the lock on the trunk could not get it open with the key. So <laughs> We could not get me out of the trunk. So you disappeared so and Stephanie appeared. <laughs> Stephanie appeared. She made her miraculous escape. You know, that, that's the meaning, right? To escape from your, your disability. But it ended up me being... <laughs> The um, trapped. trapped one in the trunk. And, uh, TJ got out after the show magically yes. with a sledgehammer. <laughs> that, that is right. We, 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 we no longer use a lock of that caliber on the trunk. We will say that. <laughs> and Good this call. was a location at that time had no air conditioning. So it was kind of hot in the Yeah, that was, one of the, that was one of the... Um, 
summer shows too yeah. and it was getting very hot yeah. so it, it was a interesting story that's a good note to end on um, one more time, TJ, just give us the uh, website and the show dates and times. Yeah, you can go to, to vanishingwheelchair.org. All one word. All one word. The next Magic Mirth and Meaning shows are July 26th, August 23rd, September 20th, all from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And they are family-friendly shows. You know, it's free. Donations are, are greatly appreciated. And again, if anyone out there, if they if they're not disabled, if they don't even know anyone that's disabled, but they would like to help, if you don't have any talent at all, we we welcome people to come and help us set up chairs, move things around, yeah. and help the help people sell because everyone, yeah, everyone out there, and just tell your friends and family, come into the store, get the information, spread the word. Uh, everything is greatly appreciated. We will take the donations, whether it be money or whether it be time. Either way is very, very useful for us. And, and everything does go to the organization and starting these lunches and workshops and eventually the museum. Um, Ricky's book, The Four Foot Giant and the Vanishing Wheelchair, is available through the website, vanishingwheelchair.org. All proceeds for that go to the vanishing wheelchair. Ricky and I take nothing from yeah, that. I remember going back real quick. I remember uh, TJ got all excited about writing the book, and I said, "Now wait a minute. There's a there's a catch here. You're not gonna make any money, and I'm not gonna make any money. We're gonna use this mm. money to do something else with." Oh yeah. And building. he agreed. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, mm. building it up. Okay, just remember, all of you out there, you heard it here first, Asheville Magic Podcast. Subscribe to stay on the inside. Check us out at metamystery.com, M-E-T-A mystery.com, and click on the podcast link. If you're thinking about buying something from a real brick-and-mortar magic shop, check out magiccentralashville.com, all one word. You can click on the map, drive here, and meet Ricky in person. You can contact us by emailing podcast at metamystery.com or fill out the form on the podcast page. We love to get your input. And remember, it takes more than a trick to make magic. It's Metamystery.